And welcome on in, everybody, to the Check Your Brain podcast, hosted, as always, by me, Tony Mazur. If you're watching on Rumble, on YouTube, on Vimeo, wherever I'm going to put this on the video platforms, that is my podcast logo. That is my name. It is the Check Your Brain podcast with Tony Mazur. I am Tony Mazur. I appreciate you folks for checking out the show. If you want more content like this, where I do talk sports, or year in review, pop culture, politics, uh, music, comedy, all of that. I have more podcasts way up the Gosh, I think I've had like over 700 uh, posts on my Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer and you get that. Otherwise, you get podcasts like this coming out every Wednesday. That is me. Hi, everybody. And uh, I, I got to bring a guest in who I've known for, I would say it's going on two decades now. Almost wow. two full decades, and he's the proprietor of the FDH Lounge and uh, FantasyDraftHelp.com. That is Rick Morris. Rick is, um, I think you are up here with one of my most frequent guests, as well as, I believe, Russ Cohen is up there as well. And uh, I don't think you'll be able to beat Chad Zumach. I think he's had wow. about uh, 150 appearances so far on the podcast. So it'd be pretty tough to beat. It's not. Yeah. It's kind of like when Saturday Night Live would bring on Christopher Walken and they would just keep bringing him back every year. So mm. he just blows away the competition and they're all part of the 10, pers- uh, 10 appearance club. But Rick, you're on. I think this might be like the fifth appearance on my podcast, but I wanted to have you on. It, it's the year in review. I always do this. As folks know, I am a... An old radio guy. And when you're in radio, you always do those year in review, the top songs, the top stories, the top this and that. And as corny as it seems, it's fun to kind of look back every so often. And that's what I'm going to do here in this podcast. And I thought, why should I talk for an hour or so when I can hand it off to somebody who knows way more about sports and sports business than I do? And that is Rick Morris. Rick, first of all, Merry Christmas. Thanks for uh, coming on here on the podcast. Merry Christmas, bud. And you're way too kind. I'm sure you know as much about sports as I do. But, uh, you know, the, the irony is, as we're talking here today, I'm writing out for my show going through. We're going to be doing some year end review segments. And uh, I, I was writing out my uh, my scripts on a couple of those uh, to peel back the curtain. I always go, you know, kind of word for word on mine whenever I'm going solo. But, uh, yeah, a lot of this is fresh in my mind from working on it today. So I, I was going through the po- for the podcast, going through the show prep of the biggest stories in sports this year. And I, I realized it's not so much the on the field, on the court, on the ice. It's more so a lot of the off the court, off the ice, off the field stuff. It's more so sports business, because even though this year, three of the four major championships were won by first timers. But you wouldn't know that when we get to the end of the year. The Golden Knights won in the NHL. You had the Texas Rangers won the World Series. And you had Denver Nuggets. Mm -hmm. And yet, all anybody wants to talk about is the last couple of years of the Chiefs' dominance. And we'll get to a little bit of that. But a lot of what came out of sports as I start this podcast here is sports business and the infrastructure. And I guess the present day and the near to distant future of how we're going to consume sports really came uh, like uh, on the outs on the onset and what we're going to do going forward, how we're going to consume this because fewer and fewer people have cable TV. A lot of people are cutting the cords, but at the same time, these cable companies who have these deals with YouTube TV, with direct TV, with um, you know, a spectrum, they're having these massive holdouts and people can't watch their sports. They're going to have to find it somewhere. But I, I guess talk a little bit about the business aspect of what you've seen from there's been mergers, there's been acquisitions, and there's just generally how are we going to consume sports going forward? 
Yeah, those are very good points. And uh, at the risk of uh, cannibalizing uh, my own segment that I'm doing on the year end in sports, hopefully I'm promoting it rather than cannibalizing it. But I can tell you that number two on that was the RSNs in decline and being eclipsed by streaming. And number one is the explosion of all of the changes in college football, which does sort of overlap to a lot of this. And that this is all related, by by the way, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. we can get into so many topics here, but they're Mm -hmm. all interchangeable. They're all related. There's prongs everywhere that we can get to from somebody signing a $700 million contract to the, what Vince McMahon's going to be doing nowadays in, in retirement. <laughs> yes. And if this is one of these things where, again, uh, I've been looking at these subjects for a long, long time. And I remember doing some, at the beginning of the 2010s, doing some predictions for the 2010s and trying to look ahead. And uh, that was when we had brought into a, the fold with our show as one of our FDH Lounge dignitaries, a gentleman named Simon Applebaum, who was a, a big time uh, TV uh, writer and uh, critic. In, in New York and somebody that covers, uh, and, and he still does to this day, a uh, podcast and a blog called uh, Tomorrow Will Be Televised. So he always looks at the intersection of these things. And I've learned a lot from my conversations with Simon. And one of the most fascinating things to me is where I was wrong about some of this stuff at the beginning of the 2010s, because I was one of these people that was like, well, before you know it, we'll have the complete integration of uh, TV and the internet. And, and I was like completely wrong about that. And, and one of the things, and I'm, I'm glad that I was, and specifically for the sake of your household, and here's what I mean by that, because if I had been right, the affiliates would be all wiped out, basically. And so the lovely Mrs. Mazur would have to go find another place to work if, the, if that model was completely decimated. And it hasn't been. And I really think the NFL has been the key to keeping the affiliate model in place. And this whole thing of like, why are they shelling out so much for, for the TV contracts? Because they have to, because it's a matter of survival. Even if they're paying this much, it's a loss leader. They can promote the rest of the week with everything that they're doing there. And that's why I wouldn't bet against the NFL. As much as I was saying in the 2010s, oh, I bet you 2022, 2023, it's going to go to Amazon Prime and YouTube TV and all of that. Nope. I mean, Sunday ticket went there, but the Prime packages are still on the networks. So these are stories that have been playing over a period of time. And over that entire period of time, we've been waiting for the cable bundle to unwind. And that goes to what you're talking about there. There's all these cord cutters. And by by the way, um, faux cord cutters are the ones that go to YouTube TV, Hulu, to uh, Sling. I know people that think they're cord cutters, but they're not. If you're paying, it's a sl- it's a it's a it's a slow change, is what yeah, it is. But, it's I mean, like it, it's people like, don't want to completely dump out the fact that you can watch the Hallmark Channel right. and <laughs> all yeah. of this. I, yeah. I have YouTube TV. I'll scroll through it, and I'm just I'm like, how do we have all these this many sure. channels? And it's just garbage. It's nothing but on to watch. You <laughs> watch Charlie sure. Brown Christmas today. Sure, but. You're not a poser. You wouldn't define yourself as being a cord cutter because you're still paying for the package, albeit on a different platform. And But there's actual cord cutters. And this is what I, I can't quite compute on this because it's a matter of the last couple of years that like, oh, well, in the pandemic, a lot of people cut because, again, on-demand got to be so big. And FDH Lounge Dignitary and a great friend of both of us, Ben Chu. So he and I have been doing a little mini series on the show over a period of time because we're both big nerds about the streaming business and the economics of it. And we've really delved into it an awful lot. And he has posited that there was a move towards on demand in the pandemic that is permanent and that the ratings for like anything will never be what they used to be. This whole thing of like, well, what about the Super Bowl ratings for this year? He thinks there's a ceiling on it because of 
where it was at uh, during the pandemic and everything has to be compared to this new post-pandemic part here. But what I don't understand is, I mean, the NFL is as popular as it ever was, college football, all of these things here. And it's a thing where you're still getting cord cutting because ESPN's subscriber numbers have been going down. All, all cable channel subscriber numbers have been going down. And that's a little bit of the disconnect. We figured it would happen when things started to go a la carte, but that's not really happened. I, I, once again, what did I think like in the early 2010s when uh, it was before HBO Max? What was it? I think HBO Plus, when, when you could just buy a, the HBO thing a la carte, like, oh, this is the beginning. It's happening now. And it didn't. You've been able to buy Showtime as a singular thing for a long time, albeit they're phasing that out and folding it into Paramount Plus. But that's another story. But it's like, well, it, it, you know, it's the bundle's not unraveling yet. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I remembered when the big controversy was around 2006 when Monday Night Football was moving to cable. Yes. And you're saying, uh oh, it's happening. You know, no more ABC. Now they moved Sunday Night Football to NBC. And so you had to get cable if you really wanted to watch Monday Night Football. However, yep. there weren't as many options, even though there it seemed like there was unlimited options then. There's even mm -hmm. more so now. Yes. Then you got to a point, and you remember this one, when they were putting playoff games in hockey on the channel versus. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you even to this day where I could find verses on anything. Yeah. And that was what, about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And uh, verses turned into NBC sports network. And then that's also gone away. I think it's some fishing channel or whatever yeah. it is, or maybe drag queen stuff. I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't, but um, the thing is, it was interesting when you were seeing that push in the late two thousands mm -hmm. to go completely digital, get yeah. the analog TV. It was 2009 was that mm -hmm. big thing that if you still had an analog TV, at such and such time in 2009, your TV is going to be useless. You will see nothing but snow and color bars and tone on your TV. So you got to get that digital receiver and get HD TVs. Yeah. Now all of our TVs are flat screen TVs. It, the, the days of the big box that you bought for $5,000, you can get a really nice flat screen TV for 150 bucks if need yeah. be. They're very affordable. So therefore, you have an opportunity to have a smart TV and get these streaming options. It's just a matter of, has it happened? Is it going to happen? You mentioned about the Amazon games. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, poor Al Michaels has had to deal with some of these garbage football games on yeah. Thursdays, but mm -hmm. um, it, it's going to happen at some point. It's just, I think, like you said, what, in what Ben Chu was talking about, that many people expected it to happen a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and on top of that is what you would do with games because mm -hmm. games ended up being Thursday nights. It must see TV in the nineties. Everybody's watching NBC. Well, now what do you do on Thursday nights? No yeah. one wants to watch TV. They can watch a la carte. They'll mm -hmm. watch a season of a show that comes out on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon all at once. Mm -hmm. So it's not that necessary. So what do you do? What, what can network TV do to bring you on board? Well, that ends up being, okay, well, I guess we'll just put sports on. But sports aren't the moneymaker that they had been for network TV before. And now we're seeing the future uh, that that I, I kind of mentioned there. I, I showed it on the video really quick was uh, Adam Silver's concerned about how Gen Z is watching NBA games. Mm -hmm. That uh, the contracts for TNT and ESPN, they're not going to be around forever. Are we going to just have an opportunity to just see it on your phone? The express written consent of the National Basketball Association, blah, blah, blah. Um, when is that going to happen? Is it by the time we hit 2030? I'm assuming things are going to change. Like, what do you see as far as that goes? 
what I see is this. What I see for the the incumbent powers that be, uh, Disney and Warner Media Discovery and the rights holders for the NBA like that. By the way, also for the NFL, because there was just a headline the other day about now there might be international games most weeks of the year. Now that they're talking about opening up Brazil and some other markets here, here's the magic word. We deal with it at the supermarket, shrinkflation. So yes. they'll all pay a little bit more on their next uh, contracts, but they're going to get less and there's going to be carve outs here. Ben's been saying for some time, look for a Monday night NBA package, probably on Amazon or, or something like that, that Monday night seems to be a night that uh, the NBA could be targeting, particularly again for the second half of the season, because they're wary of going up against the NFL that much. But it's one of these things where, uh, again, it all ties back to what we were saying before about the cable bundle. And you, you, you've got Jimmy Pataro from ESPN and Disney talking about, oh, well, we are going to be uh, going a la carte here at some point. You'll be able to purchase it all through Disney Plus. But it's like anytime he says that, figure that the plus minus uh, the over under on that's going to be five years down the road because everything has been so slow in this here. The one thing I was surprised about, I was doing a little bit of uh, research this morning here, just preparing for this conversation. I'm surprised it was as recent as 2013, but I remember John McCain uh, in the Senate proposing a bill that would have mandated a, uh, a, the a la carte thing for cable to break up the cable bundle and everything like that in the name of consumer choice. I'm surprised it was as recent as 2013 because that, that was, that was a little bit before him and Victoria Newland went over to Ukraine, but anyway, <laughs> this is a sports podcast. Yes, um, yes. Th that, how, how much well, John McCain would be loving all the bloodshed in Ukraine these days? Huh? <laughs> the uh, you know, you, you mentioned 2013. I thought that was interesting because that was right around the time. Now, we grew up and watched Sports Channel. Mm -hmm. You had Sports Channel in all these markets and then eventually yeah. got bought out by Fox Sports. And then you started seeing in the 2000s these networks pop up, the Yes Network, SNY, um, you, you had Sports Time Ohio that we had here. And so it seemed that these teams decided we're going to make we're going to create the MSG network. It's going to be our own in-house network. But it seemed like that that was just a ploy for the big guys to once again swoop in and buy them. And which is what, what ended up happening in a lot of cases, which is where you had Fox Sports that ended up buying, rebuying all these stations again. And then it flipped on over to Bally Sports. And then this past couple of years, we've been seeing the Bally Sports bankruptcy. I know that it uh, on my TV on YouTube, because there's still an issue between Bally's and YouTube TV, I can't watch baseball or, or, or basketball games. We, yeah. we, I live in Cleveland, Ohio. There's the once the team that was once known as the Cleveland Indians and the Cavaliers. I can't watch any of those. their games unless I find it on a streaming uh, a torrent site that uh, is probably not legal. And uh, that's the only way I'm able to watch it because of all these these issues that are happening. And I, I'm not a you know, I'm not a sports business guy. I'm not, a, but I just know a lot of people are really upset that they can't watch their sports because these companies are having these holdouts with the, with the streaming platforms. Yeah. And that's the thing too, where I'm about to make a move on my end, but I'm having to look around here like, well, who has the calves? Cause I'm not giving that up. Like whatever I do, I'm not giving up my calves game. So it's a thing where, yeah, it, it, it really is, one of these things here, and uh, it's it, it's funny that uh, we, we get talking about these different entities out there, and uh, it, it, it always seems like, you know, there, there's uh, somebody to be uh, concerned with, because like I said uh, before, like in, in terms of your household, I'm, I'm glad that the, 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 the affiliate model 
uh, is still in place and people still have the freedom to work at places like that. And I hope that the affiliate model uh, goes on for a period of time. One of my uh, close longtime friends, Ron Glasnap, actually works at Valley Sports Ohio as a producer. So it's like I'm always asking him, like, hey, what's going on, bud? You you OK? Everything hanging in there OK? And like he's so good that he can get a job probably just about anywhere doing that kind of stuff. But you don't want your friends to have to go through dislocation if they don't have to. So there's a human side to these matters here. And uh, these are the guys that are caught in the middle. While everybody fights it out in the corporate boardroom here, it's uh, it's Bally's, it's the kind of f sort of parent company, Sinclair. I'm still not really clear on that part of it, that like they're kind of a spinoff of, of Sinclair, but they're kind of not. I guess Sinclair gives them office use in a lot of places, so they've still got a, a, a hold on them to some degree. And then their uh, relationships with the respective sports leagues. So when you're talking about anybody in the executive suites here, I mean, there's no good guys anywhere here. There certainly never are when we're talking about professional sports teams or leagues. And uh, there's just a lot of greed here. Rob Manfred has pretty much been upfront about this of like, uh, I got to get mine. You know, if you want to have streaming rights, you're going to have to kick back to us. Never, never mind that these guys don't have the money to do it. And this is a thing where I have to plead guilty again. And if I go back to the 2010s, I kind of bought into it that like, oh, RSNs, it's the future. It's people are going to keep paying for this because people keep paying for, to watch their sports. And it was part of the sports bundle and, and part of the overall bundle. And it was like, okay, when the bundle goes away, then maybe these guys might have this issue. But again, the bundle hasn't gone away and the RSNs are plummeting. So it makes me a little bit leery of going out on another limb, but I'm going to when I say that streaming is the future. I was wrong then, but I'm right now because uh, you, you put it with all these on-demand services there. Again, Ben is right. Post-pandemic, people got to have their on-demand services. Uh, and it's a thing where you're already seeing things here. The public is willing to swallow things that they haven't been willing to swallow previously. The Thursday night games on Amazon. It was really funny the first night on Twitter because all these people didn't know it was coming. So like, I, I knew I was going to get great fun out of watching all the comments there from all the people who had their heads in the sand who were now complaining. But you saw a little bit of that. I'm sure you noticed it this year with Ohio State games being on Peacock. And oh, all the protests you know, Peacock and uh, some of these other platforms. And I think what, yeah. what could change is when your local team is yeah. playing, but it can't get picked up by the local market. That's yeah. what saves a lot of this is the fact mm -hmm. that you have a local affiliate that's going to say, hey, we're going to pick up this the team's package where it's going to be on our station, yeah. even though it's an Amazon's or simulcasting. If it gets to a point where they say, no, you're not allowed to do that. What do you do? I mean, it's it, you're really bringing the future quicker for a lot of people. And here's where the rubber meets the road on that one, because you're absolutely right about this. The NFL mandates that games, if they're on cable, if they're on streaming, they must be available to the local market teams or the local market cities. Uh, and that's where, again, the affiliates will bid for the right to show it. And that will be the case for the wild card game that is going to be on Peacock uh, in January on a Saturday night. But I'm telling you, people are going to be screaming bloody murder because everybody's got their heads in the sand. You and all, and I know it's coming, but like Joe bag of donuts doesn't know it's coming that Saturday night game. Uh, let's say it's, let's say it's Buffalo and Miami. Okay. They're going to get it in the local markets. The rest of us, we ain't gonna, unless we got Peacock, which I do. I have a feeling I'll probably be taking my uh, Roku stick over to my friend's garage and we'll probably get about 20 people to watch it, but that's what it's going to come down to because people aren't ready for, for these changes but 
they keep happening anyways. It's one of those things where I sit there and I say, and the public's not going to stand for this, but they do. Now, there are things that they won't stand for. Like, I think John Skipper floated the trial balloon about, oh, the Super Bowl is going to go to pay TV. Well, when I was growing up, that was sort of taken on faith. I think like in the 80s, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, it'll probably be on pay TV at some point. But then the commercials got to be so lucrative, they were able to keep it on free TV. And now you want to move it to pay TV or, or something like that in the 2020s. Good luck with that. I think he was saying you could charge 100 bucks a household for that. You talked about torrenting before. You ain't seen yeah, nothing yeah. yet till you put the Super Bowl behind a paywall, buddy. Oh, yeah. Well, and it, it, what was interesting, because it's funny because we're supposed to be talking about 2023, but you have to provide that backdrop first. Yes. And I remembered when the the days of the digital cable started in the early 2000s and you had way more channels. So now you can have specialty networks. It's not just TBS and WGN superstations. It's oh. also, hey, we're going to have a specialty network. What if we did a network that was just all football, like an NFL network? And mm -hmm. how about an MLB network? And what about an NBA TV and an NHL network? And you start going through there. I think the problem is, just like with CNN at the beginning, there's just so much time. There's just so much content that you can get. So you have to pre-build a lot of that. You have to go, well, all right. Like, say, for example, it's December right now. There's hot stove talk. There's the Otani signing. But mm -hmm. what else? In, uh, you know, Glasnow just got traded to the Dodgers, but... What else are you going to talk about in December, January, much of February? Because you could say, hey, pitchers and catchers reported to Arizona and Florida. Okay, anything else? Um, uh, here's uh, here's baseball season. It's 1967, the impossible dream, and yeah. uh, 69 Mets. And you have to fill that time with something. And so that's where you wonder if you made your specialty networks a la carte. WWE did that a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And now you have WWE that ended up getting picked up. It is now, uh, it, it had been acquired earlier this year. Endeavor mm -hmm. announces that UFC and WWE to form a $21 billion global live sports and entertainment company. And mm -hmm. the one thing w which was great about WWE was they tried to knock off old matches off of YouTube for a while. And yeah, you know, they'd have their people's like, oh, now that's copyright for blah, blah, blah. Um, but you were able to watch old matches. You were able to watch SummerSlam 19, fill in the blank. You were able to watch WrestleMania. You were able to do this, and people really seem to enjoy it. So is, in a way, WWE, were they a little bit kind of the pioneers of what we're going to see when it comes to sports broadcasting? Absolutely, and, and I will say this. As somebody who had the network all the way through until, and I already had Peacock, so I just kind of folded it into that when I, I got it. Listen, the primary reason I had it, because their product was really in the dumper in the 2000s and the 2010s when they didn't have competition. I mean, now that there's AEW, all of a sudden they care again and they're trying again. But I had it for the back catalog, the old WCW stuff, the old mm -hmm. stuff when they were good, which was a brief time in the late 90s and maybe some of the 80s stuff too. And ECW. I loved watching ECW stuff on there because I'd gone to some of it back in the day. But it was that's what it was there for. I was there primarily for the back catalog. And I remember uh, arguing with a mutual friend of ours, Mike Petak, who didn't want to get it going. Oh, the product today sucks because he was just which cruise, like, which cruise is he on today? <laughs> Man, I, I like Mike. 80s, just 80s rock cruise, probably. Of some <laughs> he's, he's hanging out with Jack yeah. Blades from Night Ranger today. <laughs> yeah. He's friends with all these guys. It's amazing. But he was he was thinking of it in terms of the monthly. Now they call them PLEs, premium live events. 
He, and I'm like, dude, ignore that stuff. Just watch it. Get it for the back catalog. Get it from when it was great. You know, and like, that's what it's there for. And you talk about these other sports leagues with their networks. And it's just like, that is the thing that makes me want to pull my hair out. Because why are they not going wall to wall with this stuff, especially in the off seasons? And like the NFL network, hello, NFL films, you own all of that stuff. You, you could be putting so much of that stuff on there. Nobody wants to hear, even in season. Nobody wants shows on that are about the current product 24-7. Are you kidding me? You need to do that every hour of the day? It's funny you say that because I was thinking about that. When I watch NFL Network right now, it's usually a football life. So Mm -hmm. I get to see Jerome Brown, Reggie White from the Eagles days. I like watching that. I don't really care about today. I can watch watch on my phone. And that's what changed with ESPN, I believe, was Mm -hmm. how much you can find highlights anywhere. Yeah. What can you do? What's going to set you apart from everyone else? Well, right. if you're NFL films, you have all of that. People like going to the NFL network on Sundays and they get to see the, the um, you know, Rich Eisen and everybody on the panel talk about the day's slate of games. But let's say it's June, it's June 15th. Who cares about what's going on in the NFL right now? I understand they wanted to make it a 24 7, 365 sport, which they have for the most part, but. Not everybody cares that much about the NFL all the time, but I love football. So what can I do where I can go a la carte and go check out? uh, And it's really a pain right now to find that. I was trying to find something from MLB Network. Just recently, they did a special on George Brett, Mm -hmm. and I can't find it anymore because I don't have uh, MLB Network. It got dropped by Bally Sports. Mm -hmm. And if I start finding it anywhere on different sites, it's like, oh, it's not available yet. Uh, Apparently not. Not everybody cares much about George Brett. And I'm like, I do. I'd rather care about George Brett than the present day Kansas City Royals. But am I am I wrong? But am I am I a a relic? Do I love it? Does everybody else like that? And I realized, no, I think people want to have that option where you can watch today's sports and today's content or yesterday's content and have that option to toggle between both. Yes. And uh, as far as ESPN Classic, they kind of got off the playing field with that. They don't really have ESPN Classic going in that form anymore. Or maybe they officially don't. I don't know. The funny thing is it started as uh, the Classic Sports Network, Brian Beadle, uh, one of the executives with that, who, uh, number one, uh, was involved in the failed attempt to purchase WCW in 2001 before Vinnie Mac scooped it up for pennies on a dollar. And number two, I believe, is a friend of a friend of our uh, mutual close personal friend, Bob Glassman. But anyways, uh, the one thing about that, again, no more ESPN Classic. These networks should be all over that stuff. But what's interesting is they have secondary ones that are, because I've noticed on Pluto, there's an MLB channel on there, and it does have, and I think you and I had maybe talked about this previously off air, these like past season things here, like the 67 season, and it takes you like all the way through it, and it's great. And it's like you have that on a secondary online channel on Pluto rather than the MLB network. You don't spend much time, if any, even in the off season showing this kind of stuff. And it just, it makes me wonder about that. There's this whole they, they must be doing research that shows that people only care about the here and now. And like, if that was the case, it wouldn't surprise me. Guys like me and you might be in the minority because apparently WWE, for as much as there would be guys like me that would be going in there, 
I'm looking at these old catalogs. Like, oh, great. They just put up some old <laughs> Mid-South episodes from 84. Apparently, nobody was doing that. Everybody was just looking at the current stuff and everything like that. So I, I don't I, know. I mean, re remember during COVID when they re released that Jordan documentary, that 10 part, uh, The Last Dance, and yeah. everybody was watching it. Now, yeah. yes, was it because there was no other sports going on on TV or mm -hmm. was it from an era, a bygone era that people really seem to enjoy? And they compare it to today's sports and they say that the intensity is not there, the um, you know, I, I always joke about that sports was better when they still had the Marlboro man on the scoreboards and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, it just brings that nostalgia feel for a lot of and nostalgia is big business now. So you would think yeah. more places would cash in unless the leagues have a lot more invested in today's and they don't want you to be con constantly. They don't want to remind people. It's kind of like a, a, a ball club that we know that uh, plays up the road, a baseball team that used to be known as the Indians. That yeah. when they change the name, they try not to bring the old alumni back because yeah. they want you caring more about today's team than yesterday's team, even yeah. though the, it's going to be the 30th anniversary of what was once known as Jacobs Field. But mm -hmm. they want you to remember that, hey, by the way, we have a new we have a new ball club, very exciting club right now. It's like, yeah, hey, uh, I remember Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton and those guys. It's like, yeah, but we have Jose Ramirez and we have this and that. So. It seems maybe these companies, these um, these streaming services uh, in conjunction with the leagues want you to care about today's product and not yesterday's. And I get it, but I would prefer that there's a little bit more looking into both sides, because I think uh, you, you have a you're sitting on a gold mine that you just only care about one side then. You really can monetize nostalgia, I think, to a great degree. And it's a thing where, and, and in the case of, uh, again, it'll always be the tribe to me, but they don't want to remind you that Albert Bell hit more home runs in, in, a, in a week than uh, this whole crew of slappies will hit in a month. So they don't want you to think about that. They don't want you to think about the fact that they won't shell out for players the way the 90s tribe did. But it is one of these things where, in terms of all of this, and it's interesting to me because, there are some friends that I have, and I would count primarily among them, you and Ben Chu, who are younger than me. But I think one of the reasons we get along and relate so well is both of you guys really to a large extent are kind of old souls, as they say here. So while you're not exactly a Generation Xer, you're in a lot of ways sort of an honorary Xer, but yeah. extra nostalgia especially, there's money in that. Because what is Xer nostalgia if not the 30 for 30 series. Remember the way yes. that, that boomed? And it was just a thing of like, oh, I remember when that happened. Like things that happened, basically ESPN came on the air in the, in 79, but essentially we're talking from the 80s forward. That's all very lucrative nostalgia because a lot of us lived through it and you lived through a good chunk of it. So it's a thing where I don't really understand. It's one of those things where, again, if because, again, I'm a purist. So it's like on, on MLB Network, would, would I like to see a documentary about Walter Big Train Johnson? Absolutely. But I, I get that that's, you know, that's for. The I want to see a 30 for 30 on Earl Morrill, who we talk about a lot in this podcast. OK, yeah, I mean, there, there you go. But yeah. and, and you but but I think that's what, what we were saying is that is it a minority of people that like that? It could be, but it's a very large minority. You're talking yes. about you said Gen Xers. Well, the yeah. oldest Gen Xer is close to 60 now. Yeah. 
yeah. we're, we're not talking about children anymore. We're talking about people who are well-established into their careers, looking at retirement, probably mm -hmm. have a little bit of money and would love to watch something on, you know, the, the Catholics versus convicts. They yeah. would like to watch something on the, the Jordan Bulls from the early to mid nineties. They would like to watch that. And instead they're inundated on today's product that, you know, sometimes it gets too political for people with the kneeling and the, you know, everything like that, or it's, it's just not the same. It's not the same business. And I think there's an opportunity that these streaming services could give you a little bit of both if we're smart. But I, 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 guess, I guess the last thing I'll ask you as far as sports business here, and then we'll move on to some other topics, is uh, by 2030, let's make some predictions here, is that by 2030, will we still see football, basketball, baseball on Fox, on CBS, on ABC, on NBC, or are they going to be completely streamed and the way of the world has changed that anyone else who's complaining about it, that they're going to say, well, tough, buy a, buy, buy a fire stick, buy a smart TV. Is that what you think it's going to happen by the time we get to 2020, 2030? And, and again, as a guy who was wrong on this before, on, on how quickly that was going to be sunsetted, I'm going to say it's going to keep going through them because the network's the, the, the present NFL deal goes through uh, what 2022 or 32 or 33, somewhere in there. But it's a thing where theoretically, I mean, could like Fox would never move it to Tubi because that's a free service. And what would be the upside in that? But like CBS could move it to Paramount Plus, whatever. But what I said before about the network model, <coughs> pardon me, and the local affiliate model, you'll put the I, I swear to God, I think the NFL is powerful enough that it is one of those things that has sustained the affiliate model. And if you take that away from the affiliates, I don't know if they'll die instantaneously, but it's an existential threat to them. So for as long as the networks control it, it will stay with the affiliate model. And you'll just see some things here where like Paramount Plus, you can, you can stream in-market games on there, which to me is, a, I actually saw that one of my Facebook friends uh, last week was like complaining it wasn't coming in so well. I'm like, what were you, unless you're like out at a funeral home or somewhere on a Sunday afternoon, what are you doing trying to watch the Browns game on Paramount Plus locally? I, I don't understand so, that. But it, I, the, the NFL is just, it's still a behemoth right now. They had that issue a couple of years ago. The ratings went down. There were a lot of boycotts, but they, mm -hmm. they're back because they're not showing that. They're not catering to that any, anymore. But you do have MLB and you have NBA. NBA is has big contracts with ESPN and TNT and everything, but let's be honest here. It's it's a very, very vocal group that watches it. The people mm -hmm. that are really online, they're like, oh, did you see John Morant jumped over everybody? But mm -hmm. then you see the ratings and you say, well, how did you watch it? Did you just stream it and it's not getting counted anywhere? And then yeah. you have baseball. You and I both love baseball, but we also realize that younger generations do not have the patience. They do not have the attention span to sit through a three and a half, four hour game that there's not a lot of action that ends up happening. And it's a sport that is still beloved by baby boomers, by Gen Xers. But will a 10 year old sit around and watch a baseball game or be interested in it? And is that going to be the end for something like Fox that they're going to put their all their playoff. I mean, we started seeing playoff games the last couple of years on MLB network, but will Fox keep them because it's something that's on TV other than reruns or what, you know, what do you do here? Yeah. And there's uh, I think again, the rules changes that they made this year in baseball, which in a lot of ways, it was a bastardization of the game, but in, in other ways, 
it was a necessary pushback against the ways that analytics were killing the game. Because yes. it's a thing where sometimes the things that can be the smartest things to do strategically can help make your game unwatchable. And I don't think there'll ever be a better example of that than what MLB had been over the last almost a decade. In the NBA, the pace and space stuff is getting a little bit out of control. So that run down and chuck up a three, you're seeing that a little bit in the NBA, but MLB's watchability was very much compromised by that. Plus, like you said, younger generations already were turning up their noses at it. They made a move in the right direction by making it a more watchable product this year, even at the expense of, again, the purity of the game, if you want to look at it that way. But it's a thing also, too, where I, I think they may have to do something more drastic down the road. And I have posited this to our friend Ben Chu that, hear me out on this, because this is kind of a radical concept. But okay. I, think, I think you might start to get into a modified, limited, tape-delay version, but on a dehydrated mm. basis. Maybe, like, if the game goes off at 7 or 7.30, the TV broadcast is at 9.00 but it goes from like nine to 10. They just, they just zip out. Condense you know, the, the game. Condense the game. NFL already does that with NFL plus. You can watch a condensed version of the game. That may be at some point, the primary way to watch these things, because again, there is a lot of, you know, standing around and everything like that. Our, our mutual friend, uh, FDH lounge dignitary, uh, Anthony Patron likes to give me crap about baseball. It's a lot of stuff stand around between plays, at least soccer, at least they're always moving. I'm like, bro, you just also described the NFL and college football. Like, what is that? If they're like 12 minutes of action. And you know, soccer and games usually end with like a zero, zero score. And yeah. you say that, yeah, there's a lot of running around, but there's not a lot of scoring. Now the NBA, there's a lot of running around and scoring, but yeah. it's too much scoring. It's an overabundance. Yeah. So there's an underabundance, overabundance, and it's yes. it's interesting. So then, so then let's let's get to the next thing because it is related about baseball. Is Shohei okay. Otani mm -hmm. is uh, here? Of course, is I think a lot of people know here in December, Shohei Otani is staying in the Southern California region. He's leaving the Angels, a team that I have rooted for. I'm still a fan of, but uh, yeah, uh, they're really just a dumpster fire of an organization. They've had talent that they've pissed away and then they've signed some horrible free agents. But uh, here you go. Otani is staying down there, signed a $700 million uh, contract with the Dodgers. He is, he's sticking around uh, with the Dodgers for like 10 years and only making about 2 million. And then is, uh, I think well after he's going to be taken care of. So move over Bobby Bonilla when it comes to the deferred payments. Yes. Uh, he's going to be making, isn't it like 60 something million a year in deferred payments as he gets older, after, probably after his retirement, but because he has all these endorsement deals right now. Uh, so a lot of people wondered, is a baseball player worth 700 million? You're talking about a guy who's going to be making 70 million a year. And uh, the justification was, well, if he's a top 10 hitter and a top 10 pitcher, and those guys make over 30 million now, why not just give him 35 and 35 for two things? Even though we all know that Otani's pitching days are probably, if they're not over now, they will be over after the next elbow blowout. So is this good for the game? Is this going to bring more fans in because he's in Dodger blue? He's staying down there. There's going to be a lot more attention on him. He's kind of the new Babe Ruth of the time. Uh, he's the new, uh, almost in a way, a Bo Jackson or a Deion Sanders, where it's he's he may not be a two-sport athlete, but he's a two-position athlete. Uh, what does this do? For, is this good for the game? Is this good for the sport? Is this good for, or or what? Is it, Will this attract a new audience, or is this kind of a futile effort by the league to try to allow this and as you know as, as we see here is this going to cause a salary cap situation 
Uh, it, it very well could. By, by the way, and if, if you love the Angels, uh, let me get in a quick plug here. Uh, my old college sports editor at the Harvard on the Hocking, Jeff Fletcher, follow him, uh, the, the Orange County Register. He's their beat writer. Oh, yeah. Nobody I didn't know it. you knew him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nobody does it better than Fletch. Like his his stuff is uh, if, if you follow the Angels, I'm not surprised that you're aware of his coverage. But uh, so, yeah, so he's had the Otani beat uh, for the last several years and uh, now not so much, except for when it's the interleague uh, series against the uh, Dodgers. But this is one of these things where, I mean, I think it'll be pluses and minuses for baseball. Uh, it, it's a plus in the business sense of the Dodgers are one of the teams that uh, if, if you want to make the case that there are any global brands in MLB, they would be one of those teams. And the Dodgers are clearly courting the whole Pacific Rim audience here. So they have a chance to really glow or grow their uh uh, their, their whole following over in not only just Japan, but I think all of at least Eastern Asia, if not further out. So it does help in that sense. It's one of those things, too, where it, it also kind of makes a mockery out of the way that baseball uh, regulates its revenue. And uh, again, I'm not one of these people that screams for a salary cap, if only because uh, these fraud owners like the Dolan love to use it. And it's amazing how many people get hoodwinked in our hometown, Tony. All these Dolan apologists out here for the payroll year in and year out for the fact that they won't spend money. We need a salary cap. Yeah, there's more to it than that. And even if you had a salary cap, they'd still be stuffing all the money in their pockets the way that they do now. Yeah, but and how, yeah, that's what George Steinbrenner said when he was still yeah. alive, is that he's paying all this money for the Pittsburgh Pirates to just basically put their money in their his money in their back pocket and telling yeah. people, hey, we got a nice stadium a terrible team but we got a great stadium and you could drink icy light at the ballpark hey yeah. we got primani brothers down the first baseline yeah but what about the team yeah but have you seen the view uh you know the, the right over across the allegheny the downtown pittsburgh it's like yeah what about the team yeah and you saw a lot of those teams got hoodwinked and you and i talked about it because it was going on at the time when we first met was moneyball mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Moneyball was just an excuse how many moneyball teams actually won a world series like that really bought in None. None of them did. Right. In fact, the Oakland A's never got past the ALCS, and they, I believe they got swept by the Tigers in 06. It, it was a way of uh, trying to squeeze as much as you can without paying, you know, oh, mm -hmm. J oh Jason Giambi, he got signed, but but we'll, we're going to uh, combine Scott Hatterberg, a failed catcher with the Red Sox, and we're going to combine him with a couple other people who are failed. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was... It, it, it didn't work out. And you're seeing this right now, as far as when you say salary cap, Otani's going to be making more money per year than some team's entire payroll. But it'll all be and, deferred though. It's so much of it's deferred. So it's yes. like, how much is he making now? So that's where I said it is. It is kind of hanging a kick me sign on the whole salary regulation system here. They don't have a cap, but they have the tax and everything like that. So it's allowing the Dodgers to evade the tax. It's allowing them to use more money to put into uh, other teams, which is, is essentially is sort of like a version of what uh, Tom Brady did, being a simp for the Patriots all those years, albeit he was married to uh, probably one of the world's richest women, so he could afford to, you know, let them do that. Amazing how, they, you know, they... they, they she was the sugar use... mama. Yes, exactly. And amazing how Belichick and everybody, for as much as everybody puts him on a pedestal, you see it now, didn't have the players around Brady to be able to, like, what were they using that money for, you know, to, to throw keg parties in the office? Uh, they sure weren't using it on quality players, but the Dodgers will use it on quality players. But this is one of the things, though. You raise a very interesting point about the original 
run of Moneyball teams. And I remember it was it was so sickening the whole time that Mark Shapiro was in Cleveland. There was there was never a guy that was more self-congratulatory and mediocre at the same point in time, acting like he revolutionized baseball with some of the stuff that he was doing. It's just good riddance when he moved on to Toronto. But what happened was you had those principles being absorbed by uh, bigger market teams subsequently and the whole with, with the stat cast and all of that around 2014 that it became universalized. Nothing is a better manifestation of this than I think it's Andrew Friedman, who is the uh, general manager for the Dodgers. Where did he come from? Tampa Bay. So the Dodgers are essentially money ball plus money. And that's a combination that's really hard to beat. And you've seen it in recent years here that uh, the, the bigger, more successful organizations, for as much as everybody wants to hate on the Houston Astros, they were very successful in their rebuild uh, with uh, Moneyball type principles here that, again, as they grew to be a successful team, they started putting money into it. That was a tough combination to beat there. I never hated Houston as much as everybody else did because they were primarily cheating against the Yankees and Red Sox. And I, Yeah, exactly. I, I don't care if somebody has to cheat to beat them. I, I want it to happen. That's just me personally. But it's a thing where baseball, it has really kind of evolved to that point here where when you have that combination, I mean, finding that edge anymore. Billy Bean was revolutionary in the early 2000s because he could find that edge. But this is one of these things here, too. Like nothing anywhere today. And I think social media is part of it. Nothing's under the radar anymore. Like I remember making a pick on the show years ago in a game. And I remember, I think it was Pete Prisco from CBS who likes to make hipster picks. And, and he made like the same pick. And I'm like, now I'm doomed. And it's <laughs> like, and that's exactly how it happened because nothing's under the radar anymore. There used to be these, these situations where you could find something under the radar, whether it be a pick on a game, whether it be a way to build your team, whatever it is. But no, there's always got to be other schmoes out there blowing up your spot, talking about the same things you're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, I, I I find it kind of interesting when you talk about the the, the money ball because I, I shouldn't say the teams who didn't use money ball didn't use it didn't win a championship. It just evolved while the small market teams continued losing, and then maybe they would sign one guy and overpay him, and it didn't really work out. Well, but uh, the Red Sox and the Cubs with Theo Epstein, right? He he sort yes. of took those principles, but it was a big market kind of way. But you're right. You're right that the A's didn't, and the Tribe didn't, and the original run of these teams that were employed. The, Roy the Royals of the 2000s, not, the, yeah. not what they did in 2015, where yes. they actually did spend money, and they did it yes. well. And, they, and, and, and that was one of the things, too. The, the Royals actually had uh, an imprint on the game that, and that was another thing that baseball has been trying to erase to make it more watchable in the last couple of years here, this whole thing of like, and again, it is kind of a bastardization of a game that a relief pitcher has to come in and face a minimum of three batters. But one of the things that the Royals did, this wasn't exactly money ball in the classic sense, but it was kind of, if, if, if we define money ball in the broader sense as we probably should of anything in there where you just you study it and you study it and you find that edge and, and everything like that what they were doing they pretty much pioneered in the modern era this whole thing of you get to the seventh eighth and ninth innings like they wouldn't show up for starting pitching okay they paid for johnny coedo but that was kind of a fluke they really didn't have any other stud pitchers but boy if you were trailing past the sixth inning you were dead meat because they had three young, cheap guys that could come out of the bullpen in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, none of which they would hold on to after they were uh, eligible for free agency, if I remember correctly. That's but right. Young, young, cheap power arms on the back end. 
But and you remember, like a couple of years ago in baseball, it was like these games are so unwatchable. Like you know, if you're down after the sixth inning, the game's over. Like the game had gotten to that part because of the matchups here, because of the the whole like you know Paul Ossenmacher, where have you gone? Like he has no place in today's game because again, you, you're not going to bring in somebody just to, the lefty to get out the lefty because you got to face the righties that are after that, and yeah. that that has also helped make the game more watchable. But Kansas City in that way, they exploited something. The problem is the rest of the world followed them and that really helped make it more unwatchable so it was like the baseball, nasty boys it was, it was dibble charlton and myers a little bit yeah sort of bring that in all those guys were a little more high profile but no you're absolutely right and that's one of those things where we can say in 2023 because i know you're trying to tie everything to that in 2023 baseball did make strides towards becoming more watchable it's very easy to overestimate how much that means though because that whole that world series uh, thing like the minute that we saw it was going to be Texas and Arizona, it was like, oh, the people in uh, you know at Fox have got to be shoving poison darts in their neck. Mm -hmm. And it played out exactly the way we thought it would. Plus, it was a gentleman's sweep on top of that. You had an Arizona team that was red hot. That the minute that they faced another team that was red hot, but had them outmanned in a lot of ways, it was all over. So exactly, there are limits to trying to steer out of this. But the one thing I'll say to go back to an earlier point you were making about, I don't know that you used the word necessarily, but, but it was when we were talking about nostalgia, I, I think, but you were making a point in kind of a niche kind of a way. But here's the thing. We live in a niche world and 2023 exemplified that because like, that's what makes the NFL so big and the NBA to a certain extent, because they defy that. And there's, okay, presidential politics is not a niche. Everybody talks about that and has an interest in it, for better or for worse, generally for worse. But it's like, how many subjects are truly mainstream? Taylor Swift, which again, makes me want to shove a poison dart in my neck trying to watch NFL games without hearing about her. So there are very few things in this world today that are not niches. So if you're a niche, but a significant niche, it matters. And that's where what you were saying about nostalgia programming, how that could be bigger than it is if the, if the networks would just invest in it a little bit more. Like be, not breaking out of the mold of being in a silo. Most entities in this day and age cannot aspire to that. MLB no. cannot aspire to get out of their silo. The NHL, which I love just as much, cannot aspire to get out of that silo. But you can make it a bigger silo. And, and that matters because there are, there are so few things in this world you can count them on two hands probably if not one hand that are not in a silo we're, we're, we're in we're in a world of niches tony we're of, of big niches in a lot of ways the entertainment aspect is what the you know when the nfl twitter account is posting pictures of taylor swift as opposed mm -hmm. to what's going on on the field you realize oh i see what they're doing you know we, we kind of realize it's and she's when you go back them. to the Oh, yeah. No, you know, anybody is, original... but she's, she might be the only entity in the world, but she's bigger than them. It's true. And you go back to the original concept of Monday Night Football, and, and it was supposed to be an entertainment show. It was, it was a TV show. It wasn't necessarily like we're going to sit, because that's one thing that sports broadcasting got away from was the, and, and look, not everybody was going to like, um, you know, Howard Cosell. They weren't going to like a lot. He was too braggadocious and, you know, Jimmy the Greek and everybody else. And it got to just stats and it was stat crunching and it was wins above replacement and it's analytics and it's shooting percentage and it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, launch angle in baseball and it's this and this. And then you just kind of forget about where you were. Uh, like, what, what's the purpose? Why can't I just watch this on mute and I can 
fill this in. So what are you going to do to bring people on board? And the NFL really is just kind of throwing it up there saying, let's just put Taylor Swift out there. She's dating a, a high profile Hall of Fame bound tight end right now. So it's a win-win situation for us. It's just for us football fans, we get it. We understand what they're doing. It's just, it's, it's a little, it's a little much. It'll die off at some point. We all know that you just got to ride out the storm. So yeah. there's a lot that's going on with that as far as um, the future of what what's going on in the NFL. And we've also seen the change now in the NFL of Brady retired earlier this year. Peyton Manning retired within the, you know, the last decade, Drew Brees, uh, Aaron Rodgers probably doesn't have too much time left either. So you're seeing this changing of the guard to the Mahomeses of the world and who's ever uh, the Tua Tongvaloa. And it's you're seeing this, the, the new generation start to come on board, but you're, there's still prongs of the old generation. And you had mentioned Bill Belichick because mm -hmm. this really does set in motion his legacy right now this year it's the first year without brady and you know they did fairly well they did all right you say okay but there was a lot of holdovers from the old days of the patriots bill belichick is getting exposed right now and yes. it's bothering a lot of people and people wondering if he's a fraud now do i, I i'm still bitter about Bel bill belichick here in cleveland and it's been wow. almost 30 years since then i was not happy with him however well, he calling did bootlegs for bernie and then cutting him yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He he grew as a coach as he should. He uh -huh. you know, he came into town like he was Vince Lombardi. That he was he was Tom Landry on a white Bronco coming into town going like I came from the Giants and this is what I do and they really they had a poor identity. They uh, even though they did make a playoff appearance, they probably were well on their way to making another one until Art Modell pulls the plug and moves the team to Baltimore. Belichick did grow as a coach. I'm not saying that he's not a good coach, but we're finally figuring out that it was Tom Brady, not so much Bill Belichick. It was a nice marriage at the time, but then you realize that when you see the split, who uh, where the talent went, and it, Belichick just can't do really anything with this team. And I think uh, it, it it's kind of sad. Uh, you wonder if a lot of people are wondering if it was just all fraudulent for people that it was just all Tom Brady and that they gave too much credit to Bill Belichick. Well, yeah, and uh, one of my good friends, uh, probably the guy that I do the most football segments with on the FDH Lounge this, these days, uh, uh, original lounge dignitary Chris Galloway, delights in pointing out that, and, and the gap is only growing wider, Kevin Stefanski's record as a head coach is superior to Bill Belichick's record without Tom Brady, and, mm -hmm. and by a decent margin which if that doesn't put it into perspective for all of the times that uh, Stefanski has stepped on his own Johnson and continues to going forward here. I mean, he's, he's not anybody's idea of pop Warner, but if he's got a better uh, coaching record than the Brady less Belichick, that tells you something. And it's one of these things here where, uh, where where's Belichick going to go now? Is he going to go save uh, the Chargers? Is he going to go save Washington? By, by the way, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Galloway because he was saying on our show two, three years ago, Bob Kraft might be looking to get rid of this guy because he might, mm. he's going to be shown as being on. And it's a thing of being obsolete. And it's a thing where I've noticed as, as a Dolphins fan, 
I, 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 kind of, I was very excited about uh, getting Mike McDaniels down there. I could see right away that he was going to work out really well. And it was funny that like Belichick in year one of McDaniels being in the division always kind of seemed to be giving him the little brother treatment to like, you know, he's a fine young mind or whatever, like in a condescending kind of a way because yeah, yeah. he felt the footsteps because Mike McDaniels is the future in the AFC and he is the past. And this notion that he's going to go save these other teams why? What makes you think that? I, it, it's what it's I mean. Public the relations. It, well, yeah. the, the, the only thing would be PR. It's like anytime we bring up and uh, you, know, you and I love talking about the players who spend most, most of their career on one team and then they yeah. go to one extra team, the Emmett Smith on the Arizona Cardinals, the, yeah. um, you know, uh, the Johnny Unitas and Joe Namath go out West. And it's, it's funny because you see those photos, but the only reason you're bringing them on board is you're taking what they did in the past and trying to recreate it. And that's the one thing I think about with Tom Brady is Tom Brady gave so many careers to people who did not deserve it. Yeah. Cause we talk about the bill Belichick coaching tree and every single one of them, every one of them have failed. Yeah. Can you believe that? And yeah. it, it was proof that, you realize it wasn't the Bill Belichick coaching tree. It was the Tom you used to coach Tom Brady and he made you yeah. better. He got you jobs. And you're seeing that with Bill Belichick, everybody from Charlie Weiss to, um, uh, to, uh, I mean, Bill O'Brien had to go to college to become a better coach and get He's away from it. He's but he was, fraud. he wasn't that good either. He's probably right. the best out of all of them. How many Vrabel, times is Vrabel's many, overrated? I mean, I, yeah. most, most people don't think that, but to me, he's, he's white Mike Tomlin. He's overrated. Yes, uh, I agree with that. And he doesn't uh, really it, have much of a record. How many times is Josh McDaniels going to fail? And then he's going to continue getting jobs yeah. based on new England. Matt Patricia will probably get another opportunity, but God what's going to happen us. there? Yeah. It just, I mean, it, Scott Pioli goes to Kansas city. Scott yeah. Pioli didn't build that Kansas City team. That was more John Dorsey later on. So yes. anything that's come from New England, they try to recreate it. We're going to take that concept. We're going to bring it out west. We're going to bring it down south. It doesn't work out, except for the fact that Tom Brady left the Patriots. And in his first year, yes, a COVID-affected uh, one, but won a Super Bowl in that first year with Tampa Bay. So you kind of shrug your shoulders and realize – it kind of goes right back to the top. And if you didn't have Tom Brady, the New England Patriots probably would not win a Super Bowl. Bill Belichick, after, I would say, if you didn't have Tom Brady, you still have an injured Drew Bledsoe who comes back, who is still a decent quarterback, but he wasn't the same guy he was in the mid-90s. Belichick's probably fired by the Patriots around 2005, 2006. Yeah. Maybe he picks up on another team or he has to be a coordinator somewhere. Um, it just it completely tra changed the trajectory just because of one guy. The yeah. entire trajectory of the entire NFL changed because of one quarterback who was drafted in the sixth round in 2000. Yes. And uh, by the way, and a lot of hubris on this, because when they went for Mac Jones in the draft, I mean, that was right. I could see they were screwed because it was like, oh, my God, uh, talk about drinking your own bathwater on what a genius you are. <laughs> like, I'm going to take another mediocre, you know, physical talent and then coach him into being, you know, the greatest quarterback of all time. And it's one of these things where we could be living in a world 
where 2023 goes down as a year where people learn significant lessons from coaching hires. But we won't be because humanity never learns its lessons, whether it be the history of how we stumble into wars or financial crises or whatever. Some cycles are doomed to repeat over history. It's about trends. It's about trends. And the one trend that will never be extinguished, and I've talked about this recently on the show, and I actually mentioned Josh McDaniels along this way, because Josh McDaniel and then John Gruden before him, hired by Mark Davis, and this whole thing of the great man theory of history of where you go and you throw sick money at somebody because he's the genius who's going to turn it all around versus you look at what the Houston Texans did in the off season. They hired D'Amico Ryans, who was a good young up and coming coach. You know, he'd done a really good job and it's like, Hey, we hired a guy and like, we think he can be really good. And we think he can grow into being a top coach over a period of time. And guess what? He already is. But like mm-hmm. that was the tack they were making. We're getting a guy that we think can be the guy for, for, for the for the long term. We may not win the press conference by hiring the flashiest guy out there, although Ryan's was somewhat flashy as a top defensive guy. But you know what I mean. It's not the same thing as hiring Gruden or McDaniel or somebody like that where you're trying to win the press conference. And I've talked about this with Ben Chu also recently. You see the same thing in the NBA. He and I are cracking up as this Detroit Piston win streak, or I'm sorry, losing streak. Boy, the Freddy and slip there. It reaches, what, 22 games now. Uh, the Tr- Detroit Pistons have had a longer losing streak than Liz Truss's uh, prime ministership in Great Britain. And That's correct. A number of other Very things nice. that uh, have happened, you know, in a shorter period of time than that. I remember hearing in the offseason, because I can I can pull in, I think it's 97-1 out of Detroit from time to time, one of their sports stations. And I was listening on that. I just happened to be listening on a night when one of these uh, talk radio guys was like, there were six top names that were available on the coaching market in the offseason, and they're all gone except for Monty Williams. You got to throw as much money as you can at Monty. You can't afford to let him get away. The great man theory of history. And it's a thing where you look, as Ben has pointed out to me, what did he do in New Orleans? Not a whole lot. What did he do in Phoenix? He was really good in a good situation. Monty Williams, situationally, can be a good coach for a team. What is what, what about Monty Williams scream to you? We need to make him one of the highest paid coaches in sports to come in here with a losing team and a losing situation and turn them around. What, what, what I would think you would be looking at would be one of these young assistants out of Denver, perhaps, because they're one of the top player development situations in the league. I mean, what they've done. Ben and I have talked about this on the show for years, them and Miami. How fitting is it that they made the finals? We first started talking about it when they both made the conference finals in 2020, that player development, and that's one of the things I think that also took root in 2023. It's becoming the future because the NBA, this this second apron that they have is is a stealth hard cap. The the players totally got swindled in that deal here. So it's a thing like if, if you have a great nucleus of players that you're paying a lot of money to what you do at the end of your bench and the end of your rotation, especially really, really matters. And to think that Monty Williams is automatically the guy in that world, like this should be the year that the great man theory, you know, gets swept into the dustbin of history and the team starts saying, we just need to find the right guy for our situation, the right fit for what we're doing. But as with wars, financial crises, whatever, human foibles will continue, and this won't be the end of it in 2023, Tony. Teams will keep doing these stupid things. 
Though the the NBA is, you want to talk about a good old boys club. It's uh, mm-hmm. one guy gets fired two days later, he gets picked up by another team, a head yeah. coach. And yes. Frank Vogel gets fired by the the Lakers, and all of a sudden he gets another job. And then yeah. so, I mean, Mike D'Antoni was the perfect example of yeah. that. He just one program, he just bounces around from a uh, Nate McMillan is another name mm-hmm. that you just see constantly, and they. Tom Thibodeau is another example that these are the same coaches and they just all it's a carousel around the league. So they all look for it's like, well, it worked here. I guess you had one playoff appearance. Then mm-hmm. well, let's bring it on over here. So it's it's amazing, like you said, about how coaching has uh, changed and in many ways and that people are kind of figuring that stuff out. Yeah. Um, couple other things that we'll get to and then we'll we can wrap up the podcast, which first, by the way, um, I didn't get a chance to get this uh earlier here but uh let me pull up here the uh fdh lounge that is your okay. oh. uh your website there you got the power rankings uh this week for the nfl and okay so uh yeah go to uh the fdh lounge uh is it the fdh lounge.blogspot.com yes. okay. well that's uh that's the blog affiliate here but uh yes we got the power rankings going up uh during the course of the uh season here and uh, biggest risers, biggest fallers. I, I like to also do like the divisional breakdowns there and just to kind of see how they're all going. And one of the things I like to do that I, I hope and I think sets it apart a little bit is by showing you the progression of where I've had them slotted throughout the season. And I will say at last count, maybe about two weeks ago, there were only 12 teams that I had moved up that, that were more than, I think, 10 spots away at their peak and at their trough. And last year, by the end of the season, it was 22 teams that had moved more than 10 spots in one direction or another. So this has been a little bit more of a predictable season, I think, in that way, even with some of the big injuries that we've had. I mean, most of the teams we're talking about as Super Bowl contenders are the ones we were talking about at the beginning of the season. So I appreciate you bringing that up. You can find that on the blog there on the mothership, the FDHlounge.com. You can find all of our podcasts and everything else. And of course, fantasydrafthelp.com on the fantasy side. So thank you so much for always uh, generously uh, mentioning that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so let's get to some of these celebrity deaths, uh, these uh, athlete deaths who passed Mm -hmm. away. And, you know, the reason I mentioned them and I I talked about this on the podcast last week for they say, well, Tony, you know, you're talking about this, especially when it comes to pop culture celebrities. You always rip on pop culture, you rip on today's sports. But the reason I discuss these things is Jim Brown dies this year. Mm -hmm. Who replaces Jim Brown in the pantheon of of great running backs? It's usually somebody because that that position has changed over time and you're not going to see another type of Jim Brown who's going to take over a game like that. So uh, that's why I like to mention them, because it's it really is kind of a even though he predated when we were his playing days before we were born, Mm -hmm. it's still something when you watch his highlights on YouTube. It just go. I mean, this guy's running over everybody. He was a fullback. fullback. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a halfback. He was a fullback, still at top speed. One of the greatest lacrosse players of all time, as well as being arguably the greatest football player to play. And did you ever get a chance to meet Jim Brown? Never did. Uh, did you ever get a chance to? Because that, that, that would have been pretty funny knowing some of your takes on him. If you had. I did. So, did. well, one probably, of my. Probably didn't mention a hotel to him. <laughs> I, I did not mention the Howard Johnson at uh, 55th. Uh, <laughs> It's South Marginal and East 55th Street. But uh, um, yeah, I I did meet Jim Brown a couple of times. Nothing like a very long conversation, but I always remember the uh, the classic example. 
was at the Cleveland. It, it was still Cleveland Brown. It, actually, it is again now. Cleveland Brown Stadium is 2009. This okay. is a hyper Cleveland reference, I'm going to say. So everybody outside of our 60 mile radius here in Metro Northeast Ohio probably won't care. Don't think two things about it. I was at a uh, I was at a urinal. It was halftime during a game. It was 2009, and there were four urinals. On the left next to me was Jim Brown. Then it's me. Then it was uh, uh, Dick Goddard and Doug Deacon. And you want to talk about the Mount Rushmore of Cleveland? I was just about to make that joke. Great minds think alike. I'm like the Teddy Roosevelt where you sneak me in there in that little crevice on Mount Rushmore, but everybody else, it's like, God, you got Jim Brown. You have Dick Goddard, who was the weather guy for 60 years in Cleveland. You have Doug Deacon, who just retired a beloved uh, former uh, former football player and uh, was in the broadcast booth for the last 40 years. And then there's me, who is... <laughs> had a had a 15 year radio career. That was about it. And it relative an obscurity. Story. <laughs> but I I did meet Jim Brown. Uh I want to I want to mention this uh this gentleman. I'm gonna play a little bit here in the background, but uh it uh he passed away since I know you're a hockey hockey fan. Oh. Uh Bobby Hull died. Yeah. And, and- how did he you're talking about somebody who also played for a long time, the longevity of many of these hockey players. Uh, I mean, he played for the Blackhawks for so many years, but then also played in Winnipeg mm-hmm. and for the Hartford Whalers as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I I think it's a coincidence that this happened in the year that he passed away. But very recently in AEW, uh, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, both of whom are from uh, Winnipeg, formed the tag team, uh, the Golden Jets. So in okay. honor of uh, him. So, but anyways, a, a great player, uh, one one of the very best, somebody who was a huge, it, it's funny because Jericho has sort of compared himself to him in the sense of when he went to AEW and helped legitimize them, it really opened up the market in the whole wrestling business as far as there being a substantial second place to be. And uh, Jericho, not always the most humble of chaps, comparing himself to Bobby Hall in the sense that he legitimized the WHA. And that's a huge part of his legacy was going there when the Blackhawks kept, uh, you know, you know, doing the whole we can't afford to pay you anymore deal uh, that uh, the uh, the Dolans have since ripped off. Uh, so it's like all the WWE guys going over to when they went over to TNA and AEW. They're all yeah, they're, they're yeah, just exactly. doing that to legitimize the league. OK, interesting. Yes, yes. I mean, that's how Jericho sees himself. And he's not completely wrong in that regard. I mean, I would look at John Moxley also and a couple of other guys, as much as I might hate to admit it, CM Punk later on, uh, Brian Danielson certainly uh, doing that. But Jericho was, was among the first because, again, Omega and the Young Bucks and the other founders, they were more so big in Japan and they were sort of big in kind of like the underground uh, the whole Bullet Club thing, that really took off in the late 2010s. But, I mean, regardless, Jericho compares himself. And it is an apt comparison in that way because Bobby Hall is very important business-wise in the history of hockey. It's another one of these things, too, where uh, it just, you know, and, and you're the kind of guy that takes note of these things as I do. When he passed away, there was inevitably a certain amount of uh, kicking a man when he's dead in terms of, just like some of the things that he said or did, he apparently gave an interview one time where he made a very inartful comment about Hitler. And I guess there had been some domestic abuse, I guess, with a third wife. I guess he was convicted on that. But it's a thing of like the media like loves to bring up 
any of that kind of stuff. And like, he did not live his life according to the mores of 2023 society. And he kind of got that treatment a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't think that was fair. As soon as he died, it's like, oh, he had that thing where he's complimentary of Hitler. It, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I'm not justifying it. What did he do? The 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 trains ran on time, something like that. Uh, he's a, he's a it, redneck from rural Canada that grew up decades ago. That's he's a hoser. Yeah, he's an original hoser. Hoser, exactly. Like, that's what you're going to get from these guys. You're you're not going to get the kind of you know sophisticated discourse that you get on this program here. I mean, well, he's of course not. Of course not. So it's like, but they, they can't they can't wait to pummel him in the kidneys when he's dead because of something like that. I think it's distasteful. Now, he did uh, when, when he did die was uh, Charles White. Remember Charles White? Yeah. He passed away this year. I uh, back in our days when I was a little bit more of a piss and vinegar young broadcaster, I made a Charles White joke on the air that our our old friend Paul Belfi didn't like, where I said that, uh, yeah, when the Browns had Charles White, but uh, he was too busy trying to snort the lines on the 405. Yeah. I, <laughs> I got a little talking to after that one. I, 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 I was with many things I said, felt. gee, I wonder, I wonder how I got to this point in my career that I got out of radio could have I been mean, my big it, mouth as though there weren't it, it's simultaneously the most reprehensible things in the world coming out of his mouth the whole time. And the funniest thing to me uh, was when he scolded me, you were on the air the night of the 2008 election show that we did. I have since apologized to our friend, Anthony Patrone for ranting on the air that it is an atrocity that I live in a country where my vote can be canceled out by the likes of Anthony Patron. And he got on me for that one. So Hey, say whatever you want about Anthony Patron, but he looks downright anorexic next to Chris Christie. Uh, he does indeed. <laughs> he does indeed. And, uh, and <laughs> gave me crap for my thing about Anthony when he, he made uh, jokes that were far more hurtful about him over a period of time. So that was par for the course. But yeah, Charles White, uh, you know, again, a lot of people, you know, in sports and otherwise passing away before their time this year. Uh, I think he would fit in that category. He was not an old man. Yeah. Tim Wakefield was another one we lost. Yeah, to, oh uh, I believe uh, Kurt Schilling had posted something that uh, he had a brain tumor. I think that's what it was. What a piece it was of a, crap he is. Jesus. Got to make it about himself. It, yeah. Everything in life has to be about Kurt Schilling. And, and Jason only... Veritex. Uh, yeah. Jason Veritex uh, uh, wife got really upset and said uh, that was kind of private. We didn't want that out there. And then the next day we found out that uh, he had yeah. passed. But uh, yeah, Tim Wakefield was. You know, you're, you're talking about an infielder who had to move positions because he, he didn't throw 95 miles an hour. Yeah. And he reinvented himself and he reinvented himself a couple of times with that knuckleball, something that we really don't see the knuckleball anymore. No, there, there was a time why. when Steve Sparks. Yeah. Um, you had, uh, uh, of course, you had uh, Wakefield that was playing at the time. And there were a couple of knuckleballers every so often you'd see them throw it. And then the, I think the last ones we've had were R.A. Dickey and Stephen Wright, not the comedian, yeah. but the but it also yeah. from Boston. Uh, Stephen Wright was the went, uh, was a uh, one time all star, former Indians mm -hmm. farmhand. And uh, you don't see that anymore. Now the pitchers are just throwing 100 miles yeah. an hour. I mean, it's just straight down the middle or right. whatever, but it, it just, I, 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 I like the days of off-speed pitches and changing the eye levels and the EFIS pitch. And that's yes. what, uh, what Tim Wakefield was able to do. He learned from the Necros. Yes. Necro, by the way, I said, yeah. and for, <laughs> for everybody to know, uh, and uh, Charlie Huff, he learned from the yes. best.
Well, and I got a deep cut for you here. This is a thing where uh, my, my bestie is a uh, he went He went fan. to the United Negro College Fund. Yes. <laughs> well, my, my bestie is a pirate fan. And this is a thing where I brought this up once and he's like, I noticed the same thing. Of course, he would have noticed it as a pirate fan. History was changed because if... if I forget. I think it was Leland that was the manager in 92 with the Pirates. If he'd had any brains whatsoever, they were blowing out the Braves in game six. Pull that guy because you could have used him in game seven. That's the thing about him. And said he pitched 150. He had like 150 pitches. I'm sitting there like, and and again, I got no particular love lost for any Pittsburgh team, but I'm just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then, of course, they lose game seven and the whole thing and the slide in at the end and the way the game ended. And it's like none of that would have happened in all likelihood if they'd saved Wakefield for some of game seven. Yeah, they they had Doug Drabeck through like 130 pitches and they bring in Stan Belinda, which, again, you could throw throw in Wakefield again. Why right. not? He threw 150 yeah. pitches and then he, he pitched in game three and threw 170 yeah. pitches, something like that. But yeah, uh, yeah we lost him this year. Off if you go back to back days, I, I mean, that's what relief pitchers do anyways. I mean, a guy that throws a knuckleball, that doesn't take a tremendous <laughs> toll on your arm unless you're deep into triple figures the way that he was. Uh, so speaking of baseball and speaking of that game in that series, the one of them who called the series was Tim McCarver. And yeah. t- we lost Tim McCarver this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hate to do the what the, the media's treatment of Bobby Hall, but uh, I, I was never a fan of Tim McCarver. And yet, as soon as he retires, he gets picked up by the Mets. He's on the CBS broadcast in the early 90s. He was on ABC back in the day. Then Fox gets baseball after the whole baseball network debacle happened in 94, 95, which I'd love to see. a do- You want to talk about nostalgia and 30 for 30. I want to see the yeah. documentary on the disaster of having the baseball network of having, well, NBC will carry the first round of the playoffs and two games. And then they just threw it out the window after the strike. And, you know, then Fox ends up swiping was- in. It was it was ridiculous. They were head to head. It was like you couldn't watch it if you were in the wrong part of the, you. There were those of us, especially then when there were less playoff games. Like you're telling me, I can't watch all the playoff games. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah, a lot of people couldn't watch the the classic classic uh, Seattle Mariners when Edgar Martinez hit the ball down the left field line. They didn't watch it because they were watching their stupid team or yeah. a soap opera or watching an episode of Step by Step. I don't know. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's not like today where it's like. And, and, and again, I, I watch on any number of different devices. I might have something on the TV, something on my tablet, something on my phone, if there's a couple things going on at the same time here. So it's like, it ain't like that. It ain't like you could even watch it separately uh, at that point in time. But yeah, McCarver, it's one of those things. I will agree with you in the sense of it's inexplicable that he lasted as the primary color commentator guy for decades. And it was, it was not a thing of like, I mean... In the NFL, it's different because, you know, it, it's split among networks and stuff like that. But for all intents and purposes, regardless of who the other networks had, John Madden was always sort of the king of the of the color commentators over the period of time. And it was like he was justifiably number one. Oh, it's because he's John Madden. It's because he can do this. He makes it entertaining. He can break stuff down. He can whatever. Like you understood why he was in that position. And I must say in 2023, while it's not a matter of deaths, it was a matter of the death of the top trio on the NBA games for ESPN and ABC, uh, as uh, Stan Van, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Van Gundy and uh, Mark Jackson ended up leaving. Same thing with them; they were on the number one team since like '06. I'm like, why are they on there? Like, what's so great about them? And I hate to, 
I hate to say this about McCarver when he passed, but it was like to be the guy that had the hammer lock on that position in the industry. I never saw it either. I, n- I never did either. And then when you had him ripping on Deion Sanders was the big thing where he's like, <laughs> you're a real man, Dion. You're a real yeah. man. I'll say that. And saying he was selfish because he played two sports in one day. I, I didn't think that was self. I, I guess you could think it's selfish, but whatever. Uh, but it was, it, it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because it's, it's a kind of a cool side topic. The color commentator has changed in the last few years. And yeah. Tony Romo mm-hmm. was kind of ahead of his time now where, mm-hmm. When Romo joins the booth, and a lot of people are skeptical of it, you say, wait, you're going to bring him as the A crew announcer? He's Mm. never done this before. You can't start him off of like doing the two worst teams in the league playing and pair him with Spiro Didis or uh, (laughs) or Beth Moens or somebody that and get all the Browns games. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You bring him right up to Jim Nance and you kick Phil Sims to the curb. Phil Sims has been doing it for 20 years with him. And he's like, yep, nope, we're going to get Tony Romo. But then people knew quickly mm-hmm. why. They, now, he annoys people a lot because he'll mm-hmm. he, but he did that thing where he was calling plays. He would say, oh, they're going to run this place. He trips, trips, right. Quarterback's going to keep. He's going to head to the left. It's just a it's a decoy thing. And he's calling. Everyone's like, oh, wow. He he knew exactly what was going on. So I think he's tempered that over time. But yeah. now you have this new generation of the color commentators that are bringing more personality. Greg Olson, I think, does a fantastic mm-hmm. job yes. with, with Kevin Burkhart on Fox now, though he might get moved to the side when Tom Brady comes on board. Mm-hmm. Is Brady going to be as entertaining, as knowledgeable, as personable as an Olsen, as a Romo? And you wonder no. how that's going to change. And then on top of that, you have this rise of Pat McAfee mm-hmm. that he's everywhere. You watch ESPN now is the McAfee channel. It's yeah. con- on constantly, and then you go to get college game day for for college football on Sunday or Saturdays. He's all over the place, but he's a likable personality. He talks sports. He's a bro. He's their target audience. He's not somebody yeah. who's going to bludgeon you with politics and uh, social justice, this and that. It's he's he's wearing a, a sleeveless t shirt and he's talking about sports. And you just go, it's it fits the demographic. So this is the new generation of these athletes yeah. who are looking at a broadcasting career as they're playing, but they have a niche, they have a good angle and they're personable and people seem to be really attached to it. Yeah. And that's where, and again, I, I don't, I don't much watch McAfee really haven't over a period of time, nothing against him so much as anybody that just seems like a type I'm generally not drawn to like chat GPT could have invented this guy because he he's the dude bro guy, as you say, and everything like that. What's interesting. Very, is- very barstool, like a definite barstool alum. Definite barstool guy. But here's where he's a genius though, is he, and this is probably on a subconscious level. Cause I don't get the sense that he's ever kind of like thought this part of it out, but I go back to, and what's, what's funny is, and I was just thinking about this the other day as I was going through, as we're coming up on another anniversary of uh, the lounge in January here, going back to when we first started out at the Sports Talk Network in 07, and when we came on the air then and stuff, and we were sort of positioned at the time a little bit. If you remember like the ethos of like 06, 07, it was a little more beer commercial. It was a little more like, that was like the waning days of, is I don't really like the term politically incorrect because it gets overused, but like the waning days of, you know, boys will be boys kind of fun, whatever. And it's like McAfee's that without the edges overtly sanded down, 
but he's the guy that does, he's the dude bro that doesn't threaten anybody. He's the yes. dude bro that's not going to get picketed by the feminists because of anything he says that's untoward or whatever. And it's like, he's a genius because he's managed to repurpose this in a way. And I, I would dare say that probably a lot of people don't even think of him that way. Like they just, it, it, it just, they just see the dude bro thing and everything like that, but he's, he's unthreatening. He's not going to be a guy that any of the interest groups are going to be out there picketing. And I guarantee you ESPN sees that in him. And that's why they're shoveling untold amounts of money at him. Not only that, I I was listening. Uh, uh, Leah, my wife, was watching uh, McAfee because she, she's working during the time he's on live. So they replay it almost all the time on ESPN Classic or ESPN News, I think it is. And she's making dinner and I'm hearing curse words. And I'm yeah. thinking, wait, what? On ESPN, they're having curse. Like, I remember when that uh, what was it game um, game breakers or what was what was oh, that oh. one football show? Playmakers. Playmakers. That was it. And they would have a warning thing that there's going to be some cursing. There's going to be some yeah. coarse language in here. And you're like, uh oh, and they do that kind of with McAfee. But yeah, we're at the time when you can watch cable TV and see nudity from naked and afraid on at 2 p.m. And yeah. Pat McAfee's dropping F-bombs. Yeah. And and it, it's a new generation. And uh, I guess it's it's one way that we are in the new form of broadcasting it's it, it's kind of refreshing to see because yeah. I, I felt that nba tv for a sport that is gaining uh, a, a lot of steam with generation z nba tv their commentators are like well you know uh, uh lebron and uh darvin ham have a good relationship and after winning the in-season tournament this is boring how is it that you yeah. have an exciting sport in the worst most paint dryingly boring commentators on there yeah. so it's uh some of these probably need a shot in the arm that's why everyone still likes charles barkley well yeah um, and, and that's where with mcafee that shows you where and, and again i get the sense maybe maybe i'm buying the hype of you know because I, I know he likes to portray himself separate self-deprecatingly as being kind of a dumb jock kind of a guy so maybe i'm buying the hype on this when i say self-consciously but he has a genius level knowledge of where the true pitfalls really lie. Because mm -hmm. in 2023 America, you know, you can drop F-bombs on your show and you can come off as, as being like, oh, he's so edgy, whatever. But you know what he doesn't do? On Saturday mornings when they're out there with, uh, with game day and they're out there in the crowd and they're panning the crowd, Pat McAfee is never going to be like, oh, look at the fun bags on that one out there. He doesn't yes. do that. And that's where, again, you go back to sort of the ethos of like 06, 07, that time period. He plays to the crowd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he knows he knows the alma mater chance of every yeah. every school. He knows yeah. their uh, what's going on. He plays every time he has a pick on Sunday on Saturday. He's yeah. not. He's always picking the home team. He's always right. picking that because he knows right. he, he gets it. It's good marketing. It may, is it uh, is it our journalistic ethics? Yeah, on the table. No. Because he's a football player, he's not a journalist. We're exactly. talking about a commentator, an entertaining guy who yeah. wears a, a sleeveless T-shirt and has Aaron Rodgers and AJ Hawk on all the time. I mean, it's just that that's what it is, and it yeah. it plays into it. So it's a it's a it, it it's refreshing, like I said, and it's nice to see that it it's almost the John Madden method, but for a new palatable generation who uh, John Madden hasn't been on TV calling games in 15 years now. And obviously he's right. dead, but uh, 
a, a younger generation of football fans have no idea who John Madden is. They just they just know the video game. Yeah, that's it. So you need who's going to be the next Madden? Who's going to be the next Al Michaels? Who's going to be the next? You know, whatever is it Collinsworth? Is it, I, I don't know. Anyways, well, uh, so- I, I'll say I can kind of answer that a little bit. I think in twenty three we started to see this going a little further in this direction because I do think different forms of alternate telecasts with ESPN sort of pioneered, at least on the national level with the national championship game. They've been doing it the whole way here, but the Manning cast and that kind of a thing of, and I think McAfee has participated in a little bit of that on the college football level with some of the prime time, or maybe it's just like a a bunch of guys. It gives gives another option for people where, like, uh, didn't ESPN do that with K-Rod, with Michael K and Alex Rodriguez, which I, I never watched it. I don't, I don't think know if that's those really are the guys you want to necessarily pick for it, but it's like, yeah, they've done it a little bit with that. Like, that's what the future is. And guys like McAfee, the Manning brothers, et cetera, that is the future because people are looking for things outside of what they consider to be the sort of staid normality kind of way of breaking things down. And that's where a guy like Greg Olson uh, is is good because he kind of goes outside of those boundaries with his not only his, his personality, but his insight. And again, it's one of those things where Tom Brady, as much as he talked about, you know, taking a uh, off year or whatever this year and comparing himself to the Amish, I guess. But it's a thing where he might want to think about extending that. That's a lot of money to leave on, on the sidelines. And especially if he was taking less money all those years, but Hey, he's not married to the sugar mama anymore. It's hard to turn down that money, but it's hard oh, yeah. to go. It's hard to go from arguably the greatest quarterback of all time to the failure that couldn't follow Greg Olson. So he might want to think twice about that. We'll finish up here. A couple of these uh, more celebrity deaths, uh, Brooks Robinson, we lost Vita blue. Um, uh, Roger Craig, the who, who looked who looked like he was in 90 when he was the manager of the San Francisco Giants back in the 80s. And yeah. he lived to be about 90. Uh, Billy Packer, Bud Grant, uh, Willis Reed, Dick Butkus, Bobby Knight, who I, I had an opportunity to talk to as well. And I wanted to ask you about uh, the Iron Sheik. We lost the Iron Sheik this year. We lost the Iron Sheik. By the way, quick note on Roger Craig, one of the weirdest kind of coincidences here you could be living in the bay areas bay area at the time like who's your favorite figure in sports roger craig which one i mean exactly. it was just like, what were the odds of that right it's like, like greg olson it's like do you like the yeah. tight end or do you like the baltimore orioles pitcher or the atlanta braves catcher they're all named greg olson yeah exactly like i always thought that was so weird about san fran in the 80s but the the iron chic oh my god i mean one of a kind did you get a chance to talk to him uh never never got to uh, meet him no okay and, uh he just uh you know, uh, somebody that, again, transcended sports, really got that sort of, uh, again, second life, if you will, through social media. Uh, and, and again, it, here's the funny thing. And it goes, I mean, in true pro wrestling fashion, uh, again, I still follow the Iron Sheik on Twitter and I still see posts from the Iron Sheik on mm-hmm. Twitter. And it's one of those things where it's it's the pro wrestling ethos, never break kayfabe. He, he had, to whatever degree, the people behind the scenes doing the thing, friends and family, whatever it was, doing so, at least some stuff on the account beforehand. Obviously, now they're doing all the stuff on the account. But uh, yeah, never break kayfabe. The thing keeps going. It's and a, in it's, that sense, the Iron Sheik lives forever. <laughs> and, and what was incredible about the Iron Sheik back in the day was there was that sense of patriotism. I'm not getting political here on the podcast, but there was that sense of patriotism where you did root against him. He was the ultimate heel. 
Yeah. And he's coming in there and he's got his music and you're like, boo, you're a foreigner. And and then you you have whoever comes out, Sergeant Slaughter or whoever's yeah. on stage comes on the in the ring and is all pro-American. And I mean, we've gone away from a lot of the more patriotism that's been in sports, especially recently. There's open calls in the athletic to just why are we even doing the national anthem at games anymore? So yeah. it was it was weirdly, even though it, Iron Sheik from Tehran, Iran, you know, and then the Iron Sheik, and you know, it was still entertaining for his time. And yeah, uh, yeah, like you said about his uh, his Twitter account that's still going. It's it's funny how we think it's the people who are actually running these Twitter accounts when they just have a team of like Magic Johnson's Twitter account. Yeah. They, they just did a deep dive on that of who's how this is coming about because Magic Johnson does the whole thing like. I see the Lakers are doing a good job tonight because they are getting the rebounds on offense and defense and scoring the points when needed. Thanks, Magic. I appreciate that great tweet that you had there. Well, what he does is he has a team of people and one of them has a smartphone and he's like, I got a, I got a tweet idea. Can you tweet this for me? And that's what happened. That's how it goes. He I just has say, a, Tony, a team. They're, they're capturing the banality of the voice perfectly, but that's how, I guess. I mean, that's what Magic actually... Sounds like, and uh, you know, as far as it goes with the Sheik, while I did not meet him, it occurs to me that I do have an Iron Sheik story that I think you're going to love. So okay. go back to uh, the early days here of uh, catching uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS in the 80s. So my brother and I nagged my dad into taking us. So it was, it was us three and my, my cousin, Eric, who's, you know, maybe about two years older than me. So my, my dad lugs the three of us kids down there for it. And uh, it was the main event time. And I think it was against Ronnie Garvin, who was just about my favorite back in the day. Is this at the old Richfield Coliseum? This is better than that. This is public hall, buddy. Oh, wow. Okay. You talk about a little, you know, excrement box of a place to watch this. But uh, yeah, so we're in there and Ronnie Garvin, who's actually Canadian, which none of us knew, by the way, but we're all chanting USA, USA. And my dad is the, the, the one that's of the four of us sitting next to somebody else, sitting next to what appeared to be two, not to stereotype, but let's just say two Iranian cabbies glaring angrily at him as his <laughs> USA, USA. And my dad is all, always on a hair trigger thinking somebody's going to kill him anyways. So it's like, to this day, like, you, you kids could have gotten me killed down there that night. <laughs> that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that's that's pro wrestling for you, buddy. Yeah, that's uh, but uh, you know, hey, you know, with the with the WWE Network, we can probably watch all that. Have you have you gone back in time? Have you been able to see a lot of the matches that you've gone to, whether it was at the Coliseum or elsewhere? Or maybe you went up to the Pontiac Silverdome or something. Yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff there. And actually, from that very year of '83, there was some found footage. Uh, maybe about three, four years ago, it was uh, the the last Battle of Atlanta. Uh, it was there was a cage match, and what made it unique was they didn't used to have a top on the cage, but like they had it then Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Wildfire Rich, and it was this legendary, like, oh, it was the greatest brawl ever. Uh, and like they finally got the footage of it, and they put it on the WWE network, and I'm watching it, and it's a thing of like I'm a guy who's very nonplussed by a lot of punching and kicking because to me, nothing. You talk about exposing the business. People are like, oh, an Irish whip exposes the business. I'm like, not compared to punching and kicking. Because if there was that yeah. much punching and kicking actually getting laid in, it wouldn't be going on that long. So it kind of takes me out of it. And the amount of just raw punching and kicking in that match, I'm just like, this is what we waited 30 plus years or, you know, whatever to see. So 
you know, yeah, there there is some some good stuff that's on there from by the way, from from another occasion I'm going down to public call. Uh, great witticism from my mom, Pistol Pez Watley and uh, Rip Rogers uh, in a loser leaves town match. And my mom says to me, but aren't they all leaving town tomorrow morning? <laughs> I think I love mom. Yeah. Well, this uh, this has been a great episode. I look forward to uh, putting this out here. But uh, one more time, Rick, where can we find you on all of the socials? On uh, where can we patronize you? What uh, where can we find everything there is to know about FDH sure. and Rick Morris? Sure, uh, the FDH Lounge on uh, Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, now on, uh, I haven't done a whole lot yet on Instagram, but I'm starting to uh, talk about being behind the curve and, uh, the FDH lounge.com and, uh, fantasy draft help.com. And, uh, again, one of the things with fantasy draft help.com, not just the big boys, but all the other sports I am in the midst of right now via a text thread, our fantasy draft help.com experts golf draft for next year. We're going to have the tennis draft uh, coming up similarly as well here. So not just the big boys, but, uh, the niche stuff as well. Excellent. Well, Rick, Merry Christmas again. Uh, have a safe trip down to uh, the down south where you're heading to. And uh, yeah, you can go back, take some pictures where the cage match was, by the way. <laughs> I will. I will. Thank you, Tony. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much for having me on. I always enjoy it. I look forward to getting you back on the lounge as well. Absolutely. And thank you folks for listening to and watching the Check Your Brain podcast. If you want another free episode, next week's episode is going to be all news, the top news stories, top pop culture stories, going to be another long marathon. It's just going to be me next week. So hope you enjoy that. That's going to be on the uh, social media platforms as well as Patreon. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's more to it at my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur. My name is Tony Mazur. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching to today's episode. Be back with you next week. Again, Merry Christmas, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you before the new year. Bye, everyone.